0: Hello and welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Nico Franks. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from two stalwarts of the New Zealand TV industry, both of whom have made their marks on the global business, whether it be by forging international co-productions, exporting formats or acquiring a host of hit shows. Andrew Shaw, the TVNZ veteran who left the broadcaster last year, and Philly De CEO of BannerJ-owned scripted and unscripted producer Screentime New Zealand, give us their thoughts on the country's booming audiovisual industry, which is fast becoming the go-to destination to get a new show made without the need to social distance, from Lord of the Rings to RuPaul's Drag Race. Andrew Shaw is a long-time executive in the TV industry having spent most of his career at Television New Zealand, where he spent the past decade as its acquisitions boss and is now working as an independent media consultant offering advice to production companies and platforms in the New Zealand market. Andrew was also the Deputy Director of Content at TVNZ and has held roles on pretty much all sides of the TV business, including on screen, having began his career in the late 1970s as a children's television host. Since then, he's risen to the top, and was last year awarded the prestigious New Zealand Television Awards TV Legend Honour for 2020 in recognition of his contribution to the New Zealand screen industry. Having been lucky enough to bag myself an invite to Andrew's home in Auckland, I began our chat by asking him how New Zealand's TV business should approach making the most of being relatively COVID-19 free.
1: Well, I think we've got to be careful. Um, At the moment, we've got through the last year by... Adapting very quickly to what the various levels of lockdown meant and finding that we could produce content that looked almost unchanged, even at level three of the four levels of lockdown. That's now cemented itself into the way that we operate and the care that we take on set. I think the opportunity is that for all New Zealand production companies and for their clients here and abroad to make beautiful television in an extraordinary location, in a manner that is almost unchanged from that which we used to enjoy before the dreaded C-19 experience. There is in this country extraordinary crew, tremendous skill from animation and feature film production through to small screen, scripted and unscripted. So the opportunity for everybody is to you know make great television in a place where it's safe to make it living of course with the necessary rules the government has about who and how many people can come here but it's happening you know that right now in New Zealand the RuPaul is here for RuPaul Down Under we've got at least three if not four drama series that I know of that are being produced for international clients supported by the New Zealand platforms and that level of production is not fully utilizing the skill set that's here so we're open for business in a way that many other countries, unfortunately, cannot be open for business or can only be open for business until there is a sudden change. And God willing, and with the best intent in the world, we might just be consistent. And And I think that level of ability and flexibility is the single biggest opportunity that we've got.
0: And how do you marry that desire to bring in more international business and Um, international uh, activity with, obviously, we're in a pandemic and there is the need to keep New Zealand, you know, COVID-free.
1: Well, to make international drama, for example, we do not need to bring a lot of people. We can crew it, we can shoot it, and we can cut it and we can finish it. So you're talking about key cast. If it's a production that requires English or American lead, then you're not talking about a great deal of difficulty in bringing what are still critical workers for that project to take place. Um, that sort of activity is, is easy to achieve. What we can't do, of course, is bring, you know, 500 to 1,000, you know, workers in from another country. But, you know, th- that is impossible for everybody. Um, but what we can do is offer... Beautiful location, extraordinary landscape, which is part of the DNA of the New Zealand look. It is the New Zealand Inc. thing. Uh, we can offer that, and we can we can deliver the content to the international marketplace remotely, without the people that are investing in it from overseas feeling like they haven't got control.
0: And there's the premium drama fund, which is yeah. designed to bring in um, some of that activity, but there's all. Within that, there's the desire for those stories that are going to be told to be New Zealand stories. Mm. In terms of a, a New Zealand kind of identity in, in, in drama, obviously we know certain countries have a brand, Nordic Noir, yeah. for example. Does New Zealand have a brand? And, and if so, what is it? And, and if not, should it be working to create one?
1: It does have a brand. I mean, I think the brand is in several different forms. The first is the New Zealand sense of humour is unique. And, you know, the Taika Waititi factor in Hollywood is proof positive that there's just a unique sense of of humour and sensibility. The second is that our landscape is different to any other landscape in the world. Um, And so that is a character that we bring to it. Um, I think also that we're a very practical industry, both from a platform level through a creative one. So... We want to make world stories. So narratively, we're a very open book about what kind of scripted content we want to produce. You know, it doesn't really matter to us that much. If we're going to invite people in and bring their checkbooks to invest in the business here, we have to be very realistic about the sorts of stories that they want to tell. Uh, some of the work that I've been doing, you know, with platforms abroad and with producers here is about there are stories that need to be designed so they will resonate with the audience in England. You know, they may take place here. They could be a period piece about New Zealand, you know, at the time of the English settlement here. But you have to write them as an English story rather than tell the New Zealand tale. In doing that, you can still enshrine the New Zealand culture, Māori culture, which is another critical component that makes New Zealand, you know, different and unique. But we have to tailor our creative aspirations to the client's needs if we're talking about major investment from the United
0: States, the United Kingdom. Is there the desire there to capitalise on this boom in non-English language content we're seeing? So, for example, a Maori language drama, mm. big budget. Is there, is there that kind of ambition I think
1: that, you know, for the people that I talk to in the Māori creative sector, absolutely. I mean, you know, we did a series called Deadlands with AMC Shudder um, a couple of years ago. Um, that was a good starting point. There are extraordinary stories inside Māori culture um, that need to be seen and, and have their story told. And we've got to be very careful as an industry that the integrity of that culture and that storytelling is to the forefront, as well as ensuring that the people that own that story and that culture are actively involved at senior levels in the telling of it, right? But I also think audiences all around the world have woken up to the fact that not everything has to be English, um, and that, in fact, that is to a degree now limiting. The streamers have certainly woken up to it. Um, haven't they? The global platforms realise if you want to be in business in India, you Better be telling Indian stories, right? And that foreign language content is no longer necessarily a barrier to commercial success. In New Zealand, you know, which is a small market, it's a slightly more challenging environment. But, but to rule to say that the future for creative television production in New Zealand for the world market is absolutely an English language is to lose sight of a, the changing nature of our communities.
0: You've worked in lots of different sides of the TV industry, but more recently you were covering acquisitions at TVNZ. What's that like at the moment um, in terms of acquisitions in a world where streamers are taking all rights to all content? How difficult a job was that becoming?
1: Well, I finished my term as the buyer for the network in June of this year, of 2020 rather. Um, There's a lot less to buy. The fact is that, you know, everybody that was a studio that used to rely on, on selling their content outside of North America to the world is now holding those rights. Whether it's for HBO Max or, you know, Paramount Plus or CBS, whatever, you know, everyone's just hanging on to it. So there's an awful lot less content to buy. Interestingly, that coincided, in, certainly in the last two years, with a significant decline in the attractiveness of American content in this market. You could not get the ratings delivery that you used to get from American crime drama, American social drama, and American sitcom. Um, And I'm certainly not sitting here saying, that you know, giving an opinion about the quality of the work. I'm just saying the tide changed. People's interests and habits changed driven by some of the more bold creative statements made by the streamers and also by an upsurge in the strong attractiveness of local and i think that will continue so the challenge if you're buying for a platform in new zealand now is where do you buy from who is independently available for you to buy content from and what what rights can you get um And also, as I think has been shown at the beginning of this calendar year, and certainly in the case of TVNZ, where it's the biggest local slate in a decade. Because A, you've got less hours you can acquire. B, those hours, if you could acquire them, aren't necessarily going to deliver you the audiences you want. And clearly the performance that's being seen by local is far better than it used to be. So even though the economics you know, small market are challenging for local against international because you could buy for far less than you can make. The, The new mechanisms or the new measurement of success is not necessarily just those overnights. It's the lasting contribution to the brand of the platform and the reputation, the cultural commitment, the peer review. And of course, in terms of viewership, you know, whether your show is how much it's watched over the entire life cycle that it's on your platform. So all change, I, you know, I would not want to be buying for a channel that relied for 100% of its business on acquired content. That'd be, that'd be pretty tough now.
0: A lot of the places you did that acquiring of content was it involved get, traveling to various markets mm. and things like that. Obviously, during the pandemic, that hasn't been possible. But do you also feel like maybe there's been a reckoning moment with the TV industry in terms of those markets and how much business needs to be done face-to-face involving lots of international travel and how much can be done online?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, it was a joy. And, you know, we we lived in an an ecosystem that put normal, enormous amount of, of emphasis on the personal relationship knowing your client, knowing the distributor, understanding each other's business. We've simply had to work out a new way of doing that. And so it's never going to go back. At On one level, as soon as the senior accountants in anybody's business saw that the numbers didn't look all that different, yet you weren't having to spend all that money, that wasn't going to happen again, right? So that delta was, was always going to land. Uh, and also I think that, Once the market um, organisers realised they had to go digital, um, that was really a signal that we were probably never going back. Um, And now more and more distributors are organising their own digital festivals um, in order to reach their clients. I think we're looking at a, a, a seismic shift in the way that those relationships are created and maintained. And I certainly from the safety and you know, solid, solitary nature of New Zealand, think it will be years. Um, and until people like you and I feel comfortable and confident that it's safe to wander into a convention centre with 5,000, 10,000 people from all over the world, regardless of how important we think our jobs are, would you really want to do it? And would you want to put your staff in that situation? you know we take a brave manager today to say you have to go to a market where there are 12,000 attendees i just i can't see it I, nothing's happened in our lives that is as big as the impact of covid-19 on the world we're just going to have to change change and adapt i've received a lot of pitches in my life you know because as well as running acquisitions i would run commissioning for a long time um it's the body of work that matters most. You know, does the idea excite me? Do I think it will attract an audience? Do I believe that the people that are proposing it can deliver it? And is it affordable, right? I mean, those are the fundamentals. Now, you can sit in a room as a producer and, and just tell, you know, absolutely, Andrew, you know, and I, can, and I can choose to believe you or not. Whether you're out in the room or not, actually, fat rat's ass difference to me. It's the body of work, it's the quality of the writing in the case of scripted or the construction of the argument if it's, if it's non, non-scripted. And so I think that, that we can work around that.
0: Could we potentially be on the verge of a boom in unscripted content given the challenges that face scripted content in a pandemic?
1: Well, there's a number of people already saying that there is one because first of all, it's the easiest format to repurpose you know, so people have gone back into their own library of what we call blue and red light chasing shows or whatever. Um, it's certainly the easiest to produce. It's easier to produce than drama, obviously, documentary and factual content. Um, reality is almost as hard to produce high end reality as it is to produce drama, because effectively it is drama, it just doesn't involve actors. Um, so there is going to be you know, a continued upsurge, I think, in, in that side of the business um, because the ease of the ease of execution, you know, the, your crew sizes are so much smaller. The difficulty is that um, it's hard to do travel. It's hard to do, you know, big budget, big travel series. I mean, here in New Zealand, you know, TVNZ is doing travel guides, which is a very successful Australian format, but, you know, it's travel guides New Zealand. It's only going to be inside the bubble. So what we can't do as an industry is do the big story. You know, the history of Southeast Asia cannot be told without putting your your crew at risk, effectively, right? Um, and I'm not sure border authorities all over the world want, you know, a very interesting crew of documentary makers turning up at the border, you know. Uh, so those things will be limiting. But... I mean, what, what, you know, what I'm reading and, and hearing about is game shows, bang, studio, controlled environment, so anything in a controlled environment, um, factual content that can be multi-purposed or repurposed, factual content that can be produced locally, such as, you know, the, in New Zealand, the cases of police Ten Seven and motorway patrol and the highway cops and ambulance shows, things like that that do travel well, um, but don't require a, a huge scale. Those things will be attractive to platformers because they're easy to place. They're, they're, we, we call them in programming utility players because whether you need them in a one-hour form on Thursday or two half-hours Monday, Tuesday, it's easily done. And the New Zealand industry is, is you know, possibly the most cost-effective in the world at making those, those sorts of things. You know? And so there's an opportunity there. And I think it's happening in most markets as well.
0: There is a great deal of shows being made here. So Netflix is doing Cowboy Bebop. Amazon obviously doing the Lord of the Rings series. Mm. Apple's doing a a show with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Do you think it's a matter of time until those streaming services start to commission New Zealand stories, or do you think more pressure needs to be put on them to do so?
1: Uh, I don't think pressure does anything except creates resentment. Uh, (laughs) Look at the situations happening in Australia between the Australian government um, and Facebook. Um, the fact is that those big organisations see the advantages of shooting here. The market of New Zealand is small, therefore it's more of a challenge to convince a streamer that A New Zealand story is critical to their business, right? And I can see them thinking South America, Spanish language, or you know, Indian content big markets where there's big opportunity to get more local uh, audiences to join the platform, it's a stronger argument than, you know, they've got significant penetration in New Zealand, most of the streamers, so what is the cost-benefit analysis of doing a New Zealand show? We would love them to open their minds to, to what, not only what value those New Zealand stories bring to their businesses here, to the world you know that our stories will travel and have meaning and merit to people in all parts of the world and so the contribution to the ecosystem is greater than there's only five million people in new zealand so why would i do a new zealand drama or a new zealand documentary series it's simply that there are bloody good people here with extremely good ideas and tremendous capability and It just is going to take a cup of coffee and a conversation um, and a bit of, you know, good timing. So, again, it's... But I understand why, you know, it's harder than bigger markets. It's always been the case in New Zealand that, you know, you have to ski uphill a long way to get international investment.
0: And you got your first break in TV, in children's TV. yeah. If you were starting out again today, which area of TV would you uh, be looking to work in and and in what side of it?
1: Well, I never tried to carve out a career. I never had any idea what the next job would be. Um, My first foray into the business was on screen. I learned so much about how it was made, who did what, how it was constructed, You know, if you could turn back the clock and I was starting again, I'd probably do the same thing. And I'd want to work through production because nothing teaches you more about how to run a team, um, how to make the best for the money you've got, um, how to be efficient than being in charge of a production. Producing and directing a show makes you a good manager, (laughs) I think. And I think because creative people are always thinking about their audience, ultimately it makes you a great platform executive because a healthy respect for the audiences that you serve, you know, should be the thing you wake up first thing in the morning thinking about. I'm, I'm, I'm not a great believer in career plans. The people that have walked into my life, you know, and during interviews, for example, job interviews, and answered the question, where do you want to be in five years with some grand plan? Are I unlikely to be people that I ever hired? Because the only answer is, I just want to be successful at this. And if you are successful at the thing you're doing today, then people will see that ability and you'll be invited to do something else.
0: Andrew Shaw Philly DeLacy is the CEO of Banerjee owned Screentime New Zealand, the prodco behind shows such as The Gulf and Beyond the Darklands. I visited the Screentime offices in Auckland to talk about using the pandemic as the jumping off point for future growth, as well as bringing back the pop stars format and taking unique New Zealand stories around the world. We began by discussing New Zealand's somewhat precarious position as one of the few countries in the world which has coronavirus under control and whether there's enough crew and talent on the ground here to sustain the production boom.
2: We feel very blessed that we are COVID-free. We're acutely aware of the difficulties that our colleagues are facing around the world and and, and absolutely feel for them, and we've experienced small-scale versions of it ourselves, so so we understand the challenges. I think, look, what what we're doing is, um, you know, we have a lot of COVID plans in place, in case we do go back into any sort of form of lockdown, but we are proceeding as normal. We operate, you know, hugs and kisses on set. We're able to operate in basically a a completely free environment, except for the fact that our borders are relatively shut. Um, You know, we're able to get some cast and crew into New Zealand, but that has been a challenge for us, and there's been a lot of lobbying going on with the government across all private sector industries to see if we can increase the capacity at the border so that we can ensure that all industries stay really viable and buoyant um, in spite of the fact that our borders are shut and we've lost our biggest industry, which is tourism. So um, that that urgency with the economy is, is really critical. From a production perspective, I think we are lucky that we can continue to develop and deliver productions. We've seen a bit of an increase in commissioning from our domestic broadcasters, and I think that that's come about probably from, and and you need to confirm this with them, um, but probably because a lot of content isn't being delivered. Um, So we have seen some very big commissions happening locally, which is really exciting. Um, And we've been collaborating a lot with colleagues overseas, both within the Banerjee group and outside the Banerjee group, to film particularly drama in New Zealand, because... Um, we can operate our productions well and on budget and without restrictions and without bringing too many people into the country so economically for the country it's quite viable if you're only bringing in you know one or two or three or four people for a five to ten million dollar production it's it's very little cost per dollar coming into the country so um, I've spent a lot of time through particularly the two lockdowns we had, talking to colleagues overseas and, and looking at what projects we could do here. Um, we lost a few projects because they were critical that we could get some people into the country, um, and we couldn't at the time, but that was at the sort of the very early stages of, of COVID and, and no one kind of really knew what, what was going on. Um, but we've um, had five co-productions actually all running almost back-to-back um, that are the result of COVID with um, our Canadian colleagues and um, Chendo who produce a number of um, romantic comedies and they asked us during the first lockdown last year if we would take on a couple with them um, and they've been great collaborations actually. They've been a lot of fun. Um, I think producing romantic comedies when we had just come out of lockdown was really nice for all the crew um, to kind of go into something that was just beautiful and roses and and chocolate box and it made everybody feel really good so it's been a fantastic collaboration um, and you know and that's that main lead of course to further ventures um, down the track. We've also produced The Golf um, which is an eight-part drama series with, for ZDF um, and TB3 in New Zealand um, and with Banerjee Rights as our distribution partner which has also been fantastic because we're delivering pretty much on time. Um, we're absolutely thrilled with the series and, and I think Banerjee are really excited that that's going out to the market sort of now at the time when not so much other content is being delivered so we hope that it will also perform particularly well in the international market space.
0: For sure, yeah, it's going to be interesting at events like the London screenings that are coming up, how much exactly is going to be new from from the slates.
2: Yeah, and look, I I don't know, because, I I mean, people have been really resourceful and actually talking to our colleagues in the Benechet group, you know, there's incredible ways that people are managing to get around covid and still produce really high quality fantastic content and i think you know that's what we are we're producers we're creatives we're resourceful um that's what we do so so covid's not going to stop anyone in our industry but but you know but it has been a massive hindrance of course to everybody
0: yeah problem solving is is part of the job is there an expectation that more and more international productions will be coming over and if so what strain is that putting on on the the kind of resources here in terms whether it be off screen talent behind the scenes and also on screen?
2: Um, look, I really hope that more and more production content will come to New Zealand, and I th- and I hope that more of our own content will be bought from offshore partners. Um, we're upskilling people; people are getting promoted, getting new opportunities, which is great. And I think we've got to be also careful that when you know, a few of the big production companies go, that productions go like Avatar or Lord of the Rings, that there isn't a gap left behind. So I would love to see more and more more content coming to New Zealand and being produced here. I mean, we have, you know, the highest quality crew and cast, and we've got all these amazing locations around New Zealand that represent everything geographically around the world, um, and, you know, and we're, we're totally film-friendly. So, you know, I, I would think at the moment it would seem to me that getting dramas particularly going is, is easiest, and even some factual shows if there's limited casts that need to come in, but obviously if there's a reality series where you need to bring 20 cast into New Zealand, that might be more challenging, but... Um, you know, there's some real opportunities here, and I think there's an opportunity for our industry to grow at the moment, and we should be taking advantage of that and, and encouraging people to come into the industry um, because there's this brilliant opportunity to be trained under the wings of you know fantastic people.
0: And so, Pop Stars is uh, one of your current productions. So, tell me a bit about how that has been brought back and how it differs from the the original.
2: It's been a show that's been obviously on our radar forever. Its home is in New Zealand. It's originated in New Zealand and it's been such a success around the world. Um, And it's only been off here for three years, but it just felt like, I think, in this environment, the timing's right that a show that encourages and mentors talent and is collaborative, um, it felt like the right time to bring it back. Um, And I think what's really exciting for us is that the evolution of the format is changing. The music industry has changed out of sight since the original pop stars started. Um, And so there's been an opportunity for us to actually kind of redevelop the format to some degree, to kind of really bring it up to date, to make it suit New Zealand and the New Zealand psyche as well. It's not a show where you just go, yeah, you're in, you're out. It's a show where you go yeah, you're in, and now what can we do with you? And now how can we help you?
0: And how exactly has it been tweaked to kind of reflect the rise of streaming, for example, with with music?
2: Well, I think what we're looking at is um, we've ended up not going with a record label. Um, We have found that we're working with some smaller indie companies um, and we've found that the appeal to um, the talent coming into the show has actually really been the opportunity to work with the mentors that we bring into the show. And they see that as a huge opportunity for them. We're also doing 24 episodes, which has never been done before. So developing the format to, to sustain that length of television has been really interesting. It's been really fun.
0: And that's completely kind of being produced as you would have produced it a few years ago in, in, from a kind of COVID perspective
2: it totally is. I mean, like I say we've got lots of covid plans in place and and last week we had a wee bit of a scare just as we were going into a big weekend of auditions with big crowds and and lots of people. So we took a few extra precautions just in case, but yeah, we're producing as normal. So it's it's pretty amazing. Like it's it, you sort of think, you know, to go to concerts and to be able to Rub shoulders with strangers and things like that is is kind of out there in this current environment. But so it'll be really nice to be able to deliver that series and have it look like a show that you might have produced a year ago without COVID even on the brain.
0: So there's a premium drama fund, um, fifty million kiwi dollars. In terms of how you're looking to tap into that, are you developing projects specifically with that in mind?
2: Um, absolutely. I mean we've we've got we've always got a number of projects in development, and we um, you know, we were aware that this was coming through. I think the good thing is is that the fund goes over two years. Um, and so the ability to kind of tap into it once your project is ready, I think, is is great because I think um, there's a lot of requirements within the fund um, over and above what you might normally put together for a um, a normal project, a normal co-production or international production. Um, but it, it's actually, it's look, it's really fantastic and I think it's come at the right time because I think... You know, there's been a flurry of activity in our industry, which a lot of it's also come about because we had those two lockdowns. Projects got delayed, so you know, everything kind of got shoved into a, a bunch at the end of, um, I think it was July last year. Um, and so I think at some stage there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. So the fact that this fund is coming through and it can keep the production industry really buoyant, um, and, you know, and it, and what it is doing, which is exactly what I think our industry needs, is tapping into the international marketplace. Um, and I think that it's it's helping to push producers to really look outside New Zealand for where finance comes from and to really start to build those relationships.
0: And a key part of that fund is to get New Zealand stories told on screens around the world. Exactly. So what are you doing in terms of development and and? looking for, for, for local stories at a time when it does feel like there is a, a massive demand for local stories internationally?
2: Well, I think that's the thing. And it, look, this has been a big focus of my business model for the last probably at least five, if not five years or so, um, if not longer, as, you know, I'm acutely aware that our industry is not particularly self-sustainable if, if you're looking just at local productions for Kiwis because... We've got a population of five million people. We've got a limited advertising revenue for the channels, um, and so, and we've got a lot of producers with a lot of great stories to tell. And so, the you know the funds that are available lo- locally are a limited resource. And I think that for us to grow as businesses and us to grow as producers and as an industry, we need to look outside. Um, and and I've actually been really thrilled that like for the last two or three years. I think now over 50% of Screen Time's revenue has been from international sources. That's from putting together co-productions and, and international productions and pitching to international broadcasters. And and that's allowing us to grow as a business. It's allowing us to tap into offshore thinking. Um, we've got, you know, obviously we're very lucky that we are part of the Bandage group because that allows us access to a lot of information and a lot of other producers who we can collaborate with quite easily. I think as an industry you know we've got great stories to tell and i think that the international market has changed and that they are more interested in stories from different places you know the gulf is a case in point where zdf were just like we want escapism and we want you know we want crime in the wilderness and crime on waiheke and in the beauty and and you know and they've absolutely loved the series that we've produced for them and it's all set in new zealand all kiwi cast kiwi stories but the stories resonate you know there, there's there's themes that every person around the world will understand and tap into so there's no reason why we can't create our stories and have them perform and sell well in, in other places but we've got to, you know we've got to grow as an industry to do that and really promote ourselves and I mean I watch content from everywhere around the world good content's good content so I think, I think there is a much more of an openness amongst broadcasters around the world at the moment than I think there ever has been.
0: Philly De Lacy. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and on social media. Thanks for listening.